Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. Do it now. Let's do it. Do it now. Now I don't know what I'm doing. What is this strange? Why are you just eating? You're just sitting there like I'm pumped. I'm here for it. I'm ready. I'm good to go. I've had a cup of tea. I'm ready. No, you're not. You're eating. You're eating. But I'm ready. Do you want to go first? Where did your chewing gum go? No, I've wrapped it back up in the wrapper because there's no bin here. That's true. How neat and tidy. I'm glad you didn't just stick it under the desk. No, and I just popped it there. That would not be acceptable, Chanel. No. Did you used to watch her, that nanny? What was her name? The super nanny. That is not acceptable. What super nanny? I don't think I watched that. Didn't you? She was like an English nanny and she would come into people's houses and interfere with the raising of their children. That's where Naughty Corner came from. Interfere with the raising of their children. (laughs) Yes. Well, you're doing it all wrong. We need to put them onto the Naughty Corner and they'd be like a rug and they'd go in the Naughty Corner. Well, speaking of children, I have a story about a dead one. That's lovely. That's harsh, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we're in March of 1999 in Cumberland County which took me a while to find out where that actually was because in all the articles they were all local articles and nowhere said where it was, but it's North Carolina. Oh, I was going to assume England. Mm. Hmm. No, it was confusing. Hmm. So a soldier's driving down the road and he sees a bag. In the bag he sees what appears to be a doll, but he's not sure. (sighs) He stops and checks the bag and inside the bag is actually the body of a baby boy. Mm. He calls the police. Um, They inspect the baby and discover that the baby is only less than 24 hours old and has an umbilical cord still attached. Mm. The infant had a fractured skull, pelvis and spinal column, as well as lacerations to his liver and lung. Uh, At the time, they said, we knew the baby was alive when he was thrown out of the window. The coroner, when they did the autopsy, was able to tell. Um, It really hit home when the medical examiner's report came out that the baby was alive. He was born and alive when he was thrown. Oh, that's right. Thrown thrown from that vehicle. No one noticed. No, No one noticed. Um, the baby died of blunt force trauma. Hmm. Police issued an appeal for information, but no one ever came forward. But emergency services, the soldier who found the baby, the police officers who were involved, were so traumatised and upset by what they'd witnessed, they wanted to name the child. So they called him Michael after the patron saint of law enforcement officers, and he was laid to rest in a church cemetery. Since then, every year the sheriff's officers office has held a memorial for him every single year on March the 3rd. Oh. Mm. So the trail went cold on Michael's murder until recently. When Hang on, it, what year was this in? Uh, we were in 1999. Do we have DNA? Uh, it's like again, now you would think they would just go bang and yeah. have it, wouldn't they? Well, the trail went cold until recently when investigators sent DNA to the Bode Technology 
It's a company, I think. Yeah, it's a Virginian firm who specialises in forensic genealogy services and they decided to try and find a DNA match. Mm-hmm. The breakthrough came just 12 days before Michael's 21st death anniversary. It didn't return a match, but a partial match. We've spoken about this before. It finds people that are related to the person you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And they found a woman known as Deborah Riddle O'Connor. When officers went to her house, she admitted the child was hers and she threw it from a moving vehicle days after giving birth. Oh we have God. some audio for this. Uh, everybody pretty much know why we're here uh, this morning. Um, I thought about it. Uh, you know, it's... Uh, I want to say... To me, it's a sad day because this event, what happened, is going to affect a lot of folks. It's going to affect two families. Uh, you know, it was, and it was something that, you know, this person had options. You had had a choice. You know, and in life, uh, a lot of times we have options. We have choices that we we can make. You know, and we we'll hope that sometimes you know, that you will make the right choice. But in this uh, situation, um, the right choice wasn't made. Wasn't made. As you know, uh, 1999, 21 years ago, uh, there was a young child that was thrown out on the roadside, and uh, the child was discovered out there. Child was less than uh, 24 months old, 24 uh, hours old, and it really bothers me, you know, uh, that a child was done like that. You know, innocent child uh, that couldn't defend for itself was thrown outside the road like that, and throughout the years. Many hours, long days, long nights were put into this investigation. Uh, at some point, we didn't think we were going to solve it. But uh, in this sheriff's office, we never give up. We continue to investigate cases, and that's what happened here. Um, the detectives got a lead. They followed that lead. In turn, that lead led us to suspect. That suspect was interviewed and after being interviewed she was arrested. That was Miss O'Connor's. That was a residence of Cumberland County. She was brought, brought back here to uh, Cumberland County where she was taken over to the detention center and placed on arrest and she was charged with first degree uh, murder. So you can hear he's quite emotional there. I have so many questions. Does she yeah. have other children? Great question. She has other adult children. Uh, I believe three. I haven't written that in my notes, but I thought I saw three somewhere. Um, she has a husband who um, she only married 10 years ago, and he said he had no idea about any of this until the cops turned up. He said, I've had spells, I've had Bells of crying, he said, I haven't slept all night. If convicted, she could face life in prison and possibly 
the death penalty. Do we know why she did it? No, it's only just happened. Wow. Like right now, right current, right now, it just happened. Well, can you? We have to follow it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Bear in mind, we are recording this a few weeks ahead of time. So, yep. Um, People going, Chanel, don't you know how it turns out? Just call yourself a reporter. Everyone knows what happened in that case. Yeah. You got it wrong. Because mm. people will do that. Yes. Yes. I've tied a ribbon in my hair. Keep myself. I'll take you seriously. Lovely for both of you. <laughs> I. You might remember this case, Chanel. Mm. This happened in 2006 in Frankston, and okay. I have to warn you. There's been a few cases that I've started doing. Started doing this very bad lighting in here, Kirsten. Don't. It'll do. Trust me. Um, <laughs> I was sent a gift basket and I've used the gift basket ribbon in my hair just to keep the girls happy. I try and look my best mm. for them, even though we it's the weekend it. when we're recording this. And I look mm. like shit. Um, this one, I, it's, sometimes I'll, I'll read a story, think, "Oh, this would be good for the podcast." But then, if it doesn't have a resolution, like if it's an unsolved I know. one, it can be hard. I'm the yeah. same. Like the one I just did, obviously doesn't have a resolution, but I thought it was it was so interesting, yeah, and different. But I'm okay if it doesn't have an ending. Sometimes not. Sometimes this one for me is in the category of maybe someone somewhere can say something, yes, to help the family. Yeah. So let's talk about and it, and you'll understand what happened. Yes. Yeah. So even though, yeah, okay, let's get into it. Uh, so Frankston is actually where I grew up just past Frankston. It's If you're not from Melbourne or Victoria, mm-hmm. it's a small city on the edge of Port Phillip Bay in Victoria. So back in going back into Victorian days, it was a holiday destination. People would Coastal. catch the train down, yeah, mm-hmm. from the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a film that was made in 1959 called On the Beach with Gregory Peck and Ava Gardner, and a lot of that was filmed down in Frankston. It's also famous for its pub corner and for the fact that I come from there not kidding <laughs> kidding although i am in the hall of fame at my local high Are school you? yeah local girl made good they've got me there wow. they obviously don't know the full truth about no. me so at the moment that yeah i'm very proud i'm very proud of being a frankston girl it gets a bad rap anyway mm. on october the 9th 2006 at around about 7 30 p.m going to take the ribbon out of my hair because I feel yep. it's disrespectful to the, mm. those who have passed. Mm. Um, there was a fire down on the foreshore. So the fire crews went racing down. There was a brush fire. So the, the foreshore at Frankston is a lot of tea tree and sort of scrubby bush mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, so with Frankston Beach, there's the bay, sand, scrubby brush, and then there's a creek that runs along called Cannonook Creek, and then you're into the city of Frankston itself. Mm-hmm. So between the beach and the creek in the scrubby part, the when the fire crews arrived, they found a woman's body mm-hmm. still burning. Right. She was about 15 metres from a path and not that far from Wells Street, which is quite close to the Frankston Life Saving Club. Club, And there's also a really popular restaurant there called Waves on the Beach at the moment. So the body of the woman, uh, she was aged in her 50s or 60s. She was wearing dark three-quarter length leggings or cargo pants. She had open-toed high-heeled shoes with ankle straps. And the original Homicide Squad investigator, a Sergeant Kane Joseph, said it was Horrific. Mm. The tea tree above the body had been burned, but the fire was centralised on the body. Mm. And he said there was soot found in her nasal cavity. Mm. Her death would be. Means a, she's still alive. Yeah, yeah. she's breathing. Yeah. 
He said her death would be a horrific one considering she would have been alive when she was burned. And at first the police couldn't work out how the fire had been started, whether it was deliberately lit or whether some sort of accelerant was used. Her fingertips were really badly burned, so um, it was going to be a long time and this is in 2006 Mm -hmm. it was a while before they would be able to identify her because they were relying on that at the time they did some dna tests they searched the foreshore and the area around where her body was found and they came to the conclusion that the body was in the tea tree scrub before the fire started Mm -hmm. yep um acting detective senior sergeant chris dorman of the homicide squad said they weren't ruling out that her death could have been through natural circumstances. He said the person may have accidentally caught fire. We don't know how long the fire was going, but we're fairly sure it wasn't that long. It doesn't appear to be too intense, but the body is fairly badly burned. So the thing that shocked me, knowing that, and this is where I used to, mum and dad will take us to the beach, we parked there, we walked through this actual bit of scrub. It's a really public area, and as I said, there's a life-saving club, there's a restaurant, it's it's literally spitting distance from the town of Frankston itself. So at the time the fire started, that would have still been light, and police were told there was a number of people in the area at around 7 o'clock. But three youths were seen running from the Cannonook Creek Reserve as the fire started. So the police very much wanted to speak to them. Another person they wanted to talk to was a young woman with a light-coloured late-model Commodore, probably an SS Commodore, who told staff at the restaurant Waves on the Beach uh, about the fire just after 7pm. They talked to a young man who was travelling in an old camper van and he had flagged down the CFA to show them exactly where to go to. So police sealed off the area, the beach, the car park, the banks of Cranonook Creek and the forensic investigators moved in. So at about 10.30 the following morning, police divers waded through Cranonook Creek, several hundred metres either side of the body. SES volunteers did a line search through the scrub, 100 metres either side of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, clothing and brush was taken from around the body for 10 Testing. The post-mortem showed no obvious injuries, so detectives suspected that she may have been alive, as they'd already thought, when she was set alight because she had no defensive injuries yeah. or any other injuries on her. Um, and she thinks uh, they think that she inhaled toxic smoke from her burning clothing. So why would anyone do this yeah. to this woman? Around this same time, a family in the Melbourne suburb of Brunswick, again, if you're not from Melbourne, this is back up on the other side of the city, yeah. probably about an hour's trip Far away. Apart, yeah. yeah. Um, they were becoming very concerned for a relative who was missing. Rose Maria Loria, she lived in a comfortable unit in Inverness Street in Brunswick. She lived next to her sister Natalie. They'd been neighbours for 35 years. Her family said she was really private. She rarely travelled outside the local area. Um, Rose Maria had come to Australia from Italy in 1959. She worked in the laundry room at the Mercy Private Hospital and she cared for her elderly mother until her mother died. On the same day that the body was found at Frankston, Rose Maria had left home at about 2.15 in the afternoon. Her sister Natalie was about to hang the washing and she says that Rose Maria was going out to get groceries and she heard her sister say across the fence, bye-bye, I'll see you tonight. And that is the last contact that Natalie ever had with Rose Maria. So the following morning at 5am, Natalie was sick with worry and her husband Carlo went to the local police station to report Rose Maria missing. Nobody at this point linked her disappearance with the body that had been found in Frankston. It's 70 kilometres away. 
Um, police pieced together Rose Maria's last movements to try and find her. They looked at CCTV, they spoke to witnesses, and they were able to work out that Rose Maria had boarded a tram near her home at 2.19pm and headed into the city. 30 minutes later, at 2.49pm, she's seen on St Kilda Road outside Flinders Street Station near a tram stop. She walks along the footpath and into the main entrance to Flinders Street Station. She gets on a train at 2.59 headed for Frankston. So the next time she's seen on CCTV, she's getting off a train at Frankston Station at four minutes past four in the afternoon. A short time later, and this is all CCTV. Yeah. Short time later, she was seen in Young Street in Frankston, and Young Street is one of the streets that would head down to the beach. Um, she sits down in a bus stop and she has a cigarette, and she stays there for about five minutes. And then at four fifteen, she's seen on CCTV from the National Australia Bank, heading toward the Nepean Highway. Again, that's in the direction mm-hmm. of that you have to cross over the highway to get mm-hmm. to the beach. So police could not work out why she was in Frankston was very unlike her. When her picture was shown on the news, a young woman named Alicia Shattuck came forward and she said that she had spoken to Rose Maria in Frankston and Rose Maria told her that she was lost, that she'd caught the wrong bus or train, that she'd left home to go to the pokies and she hadn't meant to go to Frankston. Alicia said that Rose Maria spoke with an accent and was asking for directions to the bus station. At 4.49pm, Rose Maria is seen on CCTV walking along the Nepean Highway, so that's parallel to the beach. She's walking in a southerly direction, which is away from her home and away mm-hmm. from the train station. Clearly, she's just completely lost. Um, she's then seen inside the gaming area at the Pier Hotel, which is right by the beach. She played the pokies for a while, but she didn't speak to anyone. At 6.30pm, she left the Pier Hotel. At 6.35, she's seen walking along the Nepean Highway back towards the city. She's carrying two bags that she had had with her all day. And that is the last time that she's seen alive. So considering where she was then and where she's found... It's most likely that she kept walking along the Nepean Highway. This is my old stomping ground. It makes me so Mm. sad. I mean, this is all the streets that I grew up in. Mm. But um, she must have walked along the Nepean Highway and then turned left into a street called Plain Street and then crossed over a footbridge over Cannonock Creek. And I can't think why she would have done that, knowing that she was lost and wanting to get home, because you can hear the bay. You know that you're heading, Mm. you know, you can smell the beach. Mm. She would have known that in crossing that bridge that she was going to the beach area, not towards the city, like if you wanted to get the bus home. Anyway, um, yeah, she crossed over a footbridge into Cannonock Creek and then she would have been in the reserve where her body was found. The area at that time was a bit of a haunt for undesirables, we'll call them. Um, People said the Frankston Foreshore was well known for drug dealing. Those who were hanging around were usually up to no good. Mm. Several people who were on the beach that evening saw a group of men in the area where the body was found. They saw one of the males appear to ignite a flame in one way or another and another male run away from that area. Uh, a woman and her son who were walking their dog heard the sound of branches breaking and what sounded like a woman's scream, but they didn't think anything of it because of the druggies in the area. They mm, thought it was just, yeah. you know, hijinks. They say they saw two men turn their backs when they noticed people looking at them. 
Uh, police came close to a potential breakthrough when on Sunday, October the 15th, a man called the police from a public phone box and he gave details of how Rosemaria died and he said he wanted to tell them more. They asked them, he, he asked them to pick them up from a shopping centre in Dandenong, which again is another 10 kilometres away. Mm-hmm. CCTV caught pictures of that man wearing a red jumper, but just before the police arrived, he disappears. He's described as being in his mid to late 30s, 182 centimetres tall with a medium to stocky build. So a million dollar reward still stands in this case. Police hope that it will encourage that man to come forward or others to come forward. I mean, that's 14 years ago now. Yeah. Um, they think that the um, Rosemaria was probably seen by whoever did it as just an easy target. She would have been confused. She was carrying bags of stuff, probably cash jewellery on her. But there is no explanation as to why you would burn someone to death like that. So assuming it is never too late to come forward if you've heard like because people's lips get loose or people in families who are frightening other people in families die and then you feel you're happy to speak the crime stoppers number is 1-800-333-00 or you can go to crimestoppers.com.au it's really sad isn't it it's so sad it's so sad for a family and imagine how lost and confused she would have been yeah and then to have that happen is and then to do the thing that she obviously found comfort in playing the pokies to go and do the thing that made her comfortable, you know, just would have made her feel normal again. And that's – Flinders Street Station is so confusing. Like I've got better at catching trains, Mm. but I can see how that would have happened. And you don't realise that you're going in the wrong direction. Yeah, poor woman. woman. Mm. Yeah, if anyone knows anything, help. Feedback? Yes, please. Go ahead. Um, an email from Robert. He says, Hi, ladies. Just listening to the episode in which you were rabbiting on about airports. I have a good quiz <laughs> is it for you. Hang on a minute. Is it rabbiting, rabbiting on or is it informative, in- entertaining information? <laughs> That's what I think it is. <laughs> That's what we're doing. He says, My dad, a retired jet captain for our national airline, New Zealand, has many crazy stories from behind the cockpit door. This one always gets me. On a jam-packed flight from LA to Auckland, an unwell elderly man, mm, red flag, <laughs> travelling with his son in a do not be seated near an unwell elderly man no, it's over. Uh, he was traveling with his son in economy unfortunately passed away quietly while sleeping normally in this situation the crew would store the person in the less crowded business class the entire plane was full so the crew had no other choice but to inconspicuously create the illusion that the man was still alive. What, using magic They and placed an, an oxygen mask on him oh. to keep... Yeah, and kept him in his designated seat for the duration of the flight. The son apparently was not entirely surprised by the event and appeared to make the most of the rest of the flight while sitting next to his dead dad. Oh. Are we checking that he didn't have anything to do with it? Seriously? Imagine that. Your dad's dead and they yeah. go, we're just going to pop an oxygen mask. I'm actually on their side. I think that's passed. probably the best way to deal well, with that. Because if they went, if the whole plane's excuse full. me, everyone, dead body, we're just going to carry it through. Because yes, then you know there's us. a dead body and with LA you. And LA to Auckland, that's a decent, decent. flight. Yeah. Just leave him there. But wouldn't yeah. the oxygen mask make it more obvious that he's not breathing? Don't they have like a little yeah, bag? Yeah, mist. Yeah, like mist it's sort of like, oh, well. it goes in and out. No. 
Why do I can't remember? They put oxygen on me once because I'm such a bad flyer. I was oh, honestly, I vomited what? so much. I know I was really bad. I was fainting. I was, it was a mess. And they took me down into first class and they put an oxygen thing on me to keep me. And then you go, oh, I'm in first class. I'm yeah. fine now. Yeah. I felt, no, I laid there and did the mum thing thinking, oh, no, my babies are back in cattle class and I'm here and I feel bad. I just wanted to cry about everything. I wanted, <laughs> like, I felt bad that I was getting a good seat, but I was also too weak to fight it. So I just passed. <laughs> just it did it. Did where were you going? The whole flight. Yeah, where yeah. were you going and did they leave you there? I was going from Melbourne to LA. Okay. Yeah. And they left you there? There was such a lovely man on that. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I don't think the people in first class were that thrilled. No, they wouldn't have been. To have a sick person stuck there. No. <laughs> but honestly, I, co- I only have vague recollections. I was so out of it at the time. But I, yeah, I don't remember it being connected to Wait, a bag. Wait, you're going to say there was a lovely man. <laughs> Oh, the, the flight attendant. And I wished I'd had enough. Like, I was so, honestly, I was such a mess. And I can remember I kept looking up at him thinking, you're so lovely. Thank you for looking after me. And I wished I'd taken note of his oh, name so that I could yeah. send. So I sent a general email saying, your people on this flight were really lovely. Um, can only hope that they got the message to him. Uh, here's one more from Carly. Hey, lovely ladies. I am loving the podcast. I, however, have binged the podcast so much that when I try to do voice to text on my device, it gets confused and adds in what you were saying on the episode. That's amazing. (laughs) Obviously, I'm addicted. My poor partner has received some very confusing text messages. Thank you all for getting me through the night. Hey, Carly, um, hit your voice thing and we'll send in one. Hello, partner of Carly. She is going to murder you one day. Ha, 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 ha. From Dee Dee and Charnel and Kirsten at the Dead Bodies podcast. Do you reckon she can send that as a text message? Hopefully. I hope so. Yeah, give it a go. Try it. See if it happens. And screenshot it and send it back to us. Yes. <laughs> Do it, Carly. You know, we want to. All the nice things. Nice things. Okay, now, girls, we need to make a phone call. We're really just flying by the seat of our pants today. Yeah. We're waiting for her to win a million dollars. Hello, Janine speaking. Oh, hello, Janine speaking. It's <laughs> Dee Dee, and look who else is here. It's me, Chanel. Oh, Chanel speaking too. Oh. And Kirsten's here too. We're all oh, here, yeah. and we're dying to hear your story. Okay. Are you ready? Yes, I'm, we are. So ready. I, I haven't read your email. I just need to hear it firsthand. I skimmed it because I wanted to like get a proper surprise when you're talking. <laughs> okay. All okay. Right, here we go. Ready. So, Ready. <laughs> we are talking uh, mid to late 1980s mm-hmm. uh, in um, eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and my friend and I shared a flat. My friend Katie, and uh, it was attached to another flat and um, a massive backyard. And in the other flat lived this strange middle-aged man and his elderly mother, and we rarely saw them. Mm. But uh, but they, there was washing on the line, and we used to have a bit of a laugh about the washing on the line, massive underpants and all sorts of strange things that as girls in their 20s we thought was hilarious, yep. uh, as you do. Um, and so, as I said, we're in our 20s and, you know, having a lovely time and we're always out and about and uh, we often arrived home quite late, a little bit under the weather. And yes. Naughty girls. Naughty, Naughty girls. I, I never did anything like that in the 80s. So. <laughs> no. No, Janine. Okay. Moving on. Um, so we're full, full of the joys of spring and every time we'd come home, the 
the curtains would always be twitching. So rather than ignoring it, like good girls, what we did, we'd run up to the window and say hello and bang on the window, perhaps sing a song, a good 80s song we'd heard at the disco. Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun. Yes, all of that. Got it. And they were thrilled. Thrilled. Um, <laughs> or just let them know how much fun we'd had that night or, <laughs> or anything. And we never received any response from them. Oh. Quite rude. Quite rude. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I mean, and this was regularly. We were always out. And then um, we, uh, we decided to sort of ramp it up. It became a real quest. We needed to speak to these people. <laughs> and, You're obsessed uh, with them. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> And so when the, the man, the son, would take his rubbish bin out every week, if we were home, we would race outside and, you know, so we could you know, have a bit of a chat and say hello. And he would just glare at us and sort of walk quickly inside. And Anyway, so look, this went on and we were there for about 12 months and um, we were pretty relentless. We heard them out the back. We'd race out and <laughs> they'd race back in and it was pretty vile. Um, anyway, so that, that, then we all, we all moved on. So uh, early 2000s, I was living overseas, and um, I'd lost contact with my, my friend who I'd been living with, but my brother called me, and he said he'd seen a really interesting article in the paper about a man who'd murdered his neighbour. Oh. And as he read it, he realised, because they had put the address, that it was said son who was still living in the same place. And he had... The neighbour on the other side, which was just a freestanding house, um, and her name, I won't give her name, but um, she was always very friendly. And apparently she was very friendly one day and he um, stabbed her. <gasps> and I did look this up because I thought it was um, he belted her over the head with a spade, but no, it was he stabbed her something like 50 times. Oh, oh my God. Until she was dead, clearly. Yeah. And, yeah. And anyway, so obviously he was for that and um, once in jail police start investigating and neighbours saying oh I haven't seen the mother for a while and blah 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 and so it turned out and apparently he did confess this that um, he felt his mother was not very well so he had um, killed her No. and in the time when we were there he had killed her (gasps) and he had (laughs) But did hang on, hang on, hang on. Didn't you notice that underpants had gone missing? Or was he still putting no. underpants on the line? No, no. See, this is it. They were always on the line. And oh. even when I think back now, I go, you know what? That washing never changed. It was always those big bloomers oh. and funny old men's singlets and stuff. Red herring washing like when you go on holidays and you put tea towels out there <laughs> to pretend <laughs> you're home. Oh, That's goodness. Right. Oh, Janine. Yeah. And because and we're in our 20s, you know, girls are going, oh, yeah, whatever. You're not, not thinking about these sort of things. So Yeah. Yes, so it um, it all came to light that he had um, murdered her when we were living there and he had um, dismembered her body. Oh, no! And, and you're antagonising him every moment of every waking <laughs> day. Yeah, poking the bear. Our, it was our quest. Um, um, but not only that, he had placed her dismembered body in our rubbish bin. Oh! <gasps> Yeah. And, so, and so, and that was my job. My friend was a good cook, so she cooked and I did oh my God. Outdoor jobs. So I took the bin out and, you know, obviously I had disposed of the dead Oh, oh my God. No. I know. 
So and did the police ever speak to you or was it too far down the track for you to be sort of yeah. directly involved in the case? Um, no, they didn't. I was living overseas for quite a while, so no, that they didn't. Um, but um, I, I know they spoke to some other neighbours. But I think that, um, well, one of the reasons I, I think that we weren't also <laughs> dismembered... Murdered. Was the, yes, murdered, um, is that we, my friend and I, were both sort of, sort of kind of dating policemen at the time. Oh. <laughs> and so um, often... The police were there, and, and as an aside, on the other side, um, our other neighbour was an elderly uh, Scottish gentleman who used to spend most of his day standing in the window with nothing on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we would, um, depending on how we were feeling, sometimes we would laugh out and say, you know, look at your dried flower arrangement, or other times <laughs> we were over it and we'd bring the police and they'd come. So um, I, the police were there a bit and other things, so perhaps. He, he sort of thought, oh, no, they've got, you know, too many police near them. Yeah. Which is why perhaps we survived. Wow. That's amazing. You disposed of a dead body. Inadvertently. Without knowing. Yeah, unknowingly. Don't pin a crime on Janine. Sorry, I've made her a criminal, but that's amazing. Wow. And and I think, like now, if I'd put a bin out and it was very heavy, I'd go, what the hell's in there? But, you know. I was probably thinking about the next, next, you know, disco or next party, and yeah. pop the bin out and off we go. So yeah, you don't know stuff it. like that when no. you're young. You don't. You don't. No, that is no. an incredible story. Amazing, Janine. Oh, do you know what's happened to him since? Is he in jail? Yes, he's still in jail. He's still in jail. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. actually, I'll, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I know I can find it easily. So I can email it so you can read the story. Yeah. Please do. Uh, because, it, you know, th- th- this is my story from my perspective. Yeah. So it might be, you know, a little different, I guess, but that's, that's how we remembered it. Well, Janine, you, you know that the dead body community would very much love to read that story. If you can find anything, send it through and we'll pop it up on our social media. I will, yeah. I've, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to. There we are, girls. Thank, Thank you, Janine. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing with us. All the nice us. things, nice things to you. Nice things. Okay, have Thanks. a lovely day. Thanks, you too. Bye. Bye now. Oh, my God. That's a great one. Oh, my wow. God. What a good story. Yeah. How good was she? I, oh, oh, wow. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.